This podcast, number 831, with Steve Berman about his new book, Healing Beyond Pills and Potions, is brought to you by Barry Habib, author of a new book entitled Money in the Streets, a playbook for finding and seizing the opportunity all around you. This interview with Barry delves into his personal life stories and many lessons that he has learned and imparts to the reader with the heartfelt purpose of transforming you and your relationship to the world. If you want to get inspired and learn some simple lessons about how to live your life from treating others with respect to thanking those who've helped you along the way, then you'll want to listen to my interview with author Barry Habib about his new book, Money in the Streets. To learn more about Barry, please visit his website at www.mbshighway.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with Dr. Steve Behrman about his new book, Healing Beyond Pills and Potions, Core Principles for Helpers and Healers. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Steve, as I do, every time I come on these shows, I think I sound like a broken record, but I've got to thank the listeners because without them, there'd be no show. After 14 years of doing this and almost 900 podcasts, it's like, well, this just becomes my baby. And for all those people that have, you know, cradled the baby this long and listened to the shows, we love you. Thank you very much. And um, here we are on this December 9th day, and I have Dr. Steve Beerman with me. And Steve was introduced to me by a very interesting friend we both know, Michael McCafferty, who's actually been on the show before, quite the entrepreneur, lives in Del Mar, California, as does Steve. And when he said, hey, you've got to introduce uh, or you've got to interview Steve, I was like, okay, yeah, okay. And then Steve and I have had many meetings Good day to you, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you via Zoom. Now that California is in kind of a lockdown, I guess maybe this is the only thing we can do is do Zoom. (laughs) But I want our listeners to know a little bit about you, your background. Um, We're going to be talking about Steve's new book, and I'm going to hold it up because it is a wonderful book. Healing Beyond Pills and Potions, uh, Core Principles for Helpers and Healers. I want to appeal to both sides of my audience. Some of you out there are healers. You heal in many different ways. You're physicians, you're nurses, you're doing that. Steve's going to be speaking to you. He's also going to be speaking to just the average person out there who would probably like to use some of the philosophy techniques and things that he discusses in this book. Um, which really are very foundational, but I don't think they're being used enough in the world today. So we want to reach both of you. I'm going to encourage you all to go to Steve's website, which is healingbeyondpills.com, healingbeyondpills.com. And there you can see his special offer for the book. He's actually got an audio book as well. Um, called a brief. You can actually listen and you can purchase it there. Um, you can get this book on Amazon. We're going to have all the links to all of the places that you guys can get this book. But Steve, a little bit and give you some accolades. Uh, Steve Behrman, MD, received his undergraduate degree from UCLA and his doctorate from Northwestern University School of Medicine 
after completing his family practice residency at UCSD here in San Diego. He worked nearly 20 years as a board-certified emergency physician at Scripps Memorial Hospital in Encinitas, California. He's the founder of two medical device companies and holds 200 utility patents on various medical devices. Um, Steve is the father of two daughters, Clea and Raquel, and an avid surfer and lives in Del Mar with his wife, Diane. And you can't leave out the pugs. Three pugs, you know. We uh, Dogs are everything today when you're this COVID world, let me tell you. It's like they're your best friend. But yeah. Steve, you know, I watched your videos at your website. And I told you before we got on here that, wow, it just, it struck me. It was like, I, I saw you using a technique over a patient. Um, I don't know if it was the Dateline show or whichever one it was, um, but it was phenomenal. And you saw these patients commenting back to you, uh, the sense of what was happening to them. And I, I think, you know, when people think of hypnosis, and I'm not starting traditionally here, and NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, because all of my people probably know about NLP uh, because of the fact that we are a personal growth podcast. Um, so anybody who knows Bandler and what they've done with NLP. So you got interest, you have an interesting story. You know, you're trained a traditional physician, you know, like most doctors, you come out of medical school. Um, and I'm curious as to what led you to explore hypnosis and NLP, as well as Chinese and shamanic uh, practices to help patients when, you know, the Western world doesn't usually embrace this kind of stuff. <laughs> well, I they surely don't, but things are changing and we can be hopeful at best. Yeah. Uh, but I come, Greg, out of a tradition of, of uh, doctors. My father was a physician. My grandfather was a family doctor in uh, St. Louis. And uh, my I, home, my home country. That, I was born in St. Louis. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think somehow the notion of uh, whatever works is legitimate. Uh, probably got ingrained very early into my thinking about health and healing. And so when I came out of uh, my family practice residency, I had a strong sense that I'd learned a lot and a lot of useful things, but not everything. It wasn't all there. There were so many unanswerables. And I actually had seen myself and my colleagues uh, struggle in certain kinds of cases where we just did not have the tools. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had a, a sort of suspended curiosity of, about what's missing, what else is there, why, why does all these things I've packed into my brain um, not give me an answer for every question my patients pose? And, um, and then, you know, life happens. So in terms of NLP and hypnosis, uh, in those days I, I was – going once a year to Bali for a month and surfing big waves in, in Bali. In the nighttime, I would study their culture. And one, one thing I saw repeatedly were fire dancers up in the hills of Bali. And to me, that seemed like a very uh, inexplicable thing. How can you take off your shoes and walk over red hot coals? But I just filed it away as a religious phenomenon that I, I didn't have access to. Until, if you remember, 
Tony Robbins came to San Diego with his big fire pit and storytelling mm-hmm. uh, production. And I thought, well, I'm going to go watch that. I want to see that happen in a, in a secular setting. And so I went down to the Holiday Inn in, in uh, San Diego with me a, too. And I walked on the coals, <laughs> same uh, place. Same so think about this. <laughs> here it is right in front of us. Two, let's at least call ourselves reasonably sensible guys. Yeah. One, at least, who had no intention of doing anything stupid. I was just going to watch to see if it was even possible. I just wanted to explore the possibility. Right. And then before I knew it, 300 similar people, let's say, were taking, rolling up your trousers, taking off your shoes and socks. It's <laughs> exactly and, oh, what happened. Marching yeah. over 10 meters of red hot oak coals. Mm-hmm. And so I was left with the, the same mystery as I um, happened up uh, up against in, in Bali, namely, how, how can you do this? And I, I don't believe a lot of the uh, offhand physicist explanations really get there. Um, but I didn't feel I could answer that. But Tony Robbins had left me with a, a second mystery, uh, which was e- equally, if not more, perplexing. Namely, all he did, so far as I could see, was stand up there and tell stories for two hours. And mm-hmm. then he said, okay, folks, let's go do this. And we all marched off and we all did it. So my question was, how did he do that? What did he do? What was going on there? And it turned out, as you mentioned, he was using neurolinguistic programming, which really is a non-trans derivative of the hypnosis practiced by Milton Erickson. And not to make it too long and, and, and uh, thorny, Bandler and Grinder had gone to study Erickson and methodized his techniques and called it neurolinguistic programming. And it just so happened that John Grinder, the co-founder of NLP, was a week or two later doing a training in Philadelphia. And I flew out there and that was the start of it. I I studied with John Grinder. He and I remain uh, good friends to this day. I really admire the guy profoundly. But being an emergency physician, I was able to learn some techniques, go in and try them on patients, learn some other techniques as I started reading more and more, try them again. And then um, I expanded that by studying with Steve Gilligan, a great Ericksonian in Encinitas. And so I was doing hypnosis and NLP, which you know from reading the book, I believe are essentially uh, the same in the way I was using them. One, yeah, one, I'll tell it, my listeners when you watch the videos, they'll see that, you know, right. I, I call what you're kind of doing is suggestive. It's almost like Tony Robbins, you know, when you have 500 people or a thousand or however many he has in an audience, right? Uh, the power of the story, the power of the mind, the power to basically shift the mind. I was with you. I don't know if it was the same one. When you walk across the coals, I didn't feel anything. And I got to the other side and I was like, ah, they, my bottom of my feet were a little warm. But as an ER guy, like you said, well, who in their right mind is going to go through there and not come in with burns on their feet? And nobody did. Well, don't forget, we're in San Diego. So every 5th of July, I saw burns on feet because the 4th of July beach barbecue revelers 
would throw sand over their red hot coals. And the next morning, people would go down and burn their feet. And I was in the ER taking care of those burns. Mm-hmm. So to me, I, I knew firsthand that something extraordinary, two things had happened. One, we'd all been talked into doing it. And right. two, <laughs> we had somehow within us the capacity to survive that without injury. And as an emergency physician, you have to you have to think that's something extraordinary. If I could do that with with patients, and remember, Robbins doesn't use trance at all, right? Okay, and depending how you define it. But if I could use that with patients, I started to wonder what what could I do? And so that started your journey, right? And now. So now you, you, this journey, you say on, you, you mentioned it earlier, whatever works philosophy. Um, so the journey led you to practicing what people are calling today, integrative medicine, right? Um, mm-hmm. We're not saying functional, well, but I, would, I wouldn't call it that. Quite. Well, so is there something different? Yeah. What is different? Well, uh, let's talk about that a little. I think it's a really key question. So, um, a lot of people today, and I have great admiration for people who do this, have realized that it is really about whatever works. And so they're taking uh, traditional allopathic medicine and blending uh, herbal techniques and acupuncture and other Chinese uh, derivatives and integrating all of these uh, little parts and pieces, calling it integrative medicine. Mm-hmm. But there's a missing piece, in my view, to all of these. Uh, Mimi Guarneri in La Jolla, for example, talks about the many, many pearls that she can string together, each pearl being a component of the integrative medicine. But my question has been, great, you know, you, here you have a problem, take an herb in, instead of a pill. You're still giving something material, right? Here you have a problem, go get acupuncture instead of of uh, let's say surgery you're still making a material intervention mm-hmm. what i'm looking at greg is what's the thread what's the thread that makes a necklace out of those pearls what's common to them all what binds it together and what it is if you think about it is our human experience it's that we all have thoughts and ideas and wishes and dreams and, and some negative ideas and curses received and misconceptions learned too early and not corrected yet. And if we learn how to address what I call the, these noetic components, noetic meaning relating to the mind, mental. Right, right. right. Then, and, and that's why I call what I do noetic medicine, adding on to whatever else you're doing, complementary, integrative, alternative. It's if a good you term. The noetic component. What you're going to discover is that people not only get better, but they get lasting cures. Take, for example, let's just say acupuncture. Guy goes to an acupuncturist and he gets well. That's great. But fundamentally, is it that different from going to his allopathic doctor, getting a pill, and getting well? Well, it's not fundamentally different if the root cause of the illness is a psychological cause, if it's a unhealthy wish or a dangerous identification or some other such cause. And I so, couldn't I, agree more. I mean, oh, I, I think 
It's all interrelated. I had this discussion with my wife this morning, walking the dog. I was thinking, oh, you saw all these people elated in England when they got their shot with the COVID. And I said to her, well, what if it was a placebo? But yet they believed that the shot was going to work, right? They had a strong faith. I know this sounds crazy to you. Maybe it doesn't. But the reality is when you do blind studies, you're doing placebo and you're doing the real medicine, right? And you're trying to figure out what happens to each group. And I, and I keep thinking, you know, could many of the diseases we have, and you're going to say, you're going to agree with me, uh, be healed by how we change our mind and how we think? right? Because that's how we got there to begin with, right? Sometimes, yeah, and sometimes no. I mean, right. my, my thesis is, and I, I want to come back to your uh, placebo comment, but just to set it up, is that the notion that all disease and illness is caused by uh, physical disruptions is probably, speaking now of adult human beings, is probably as faulty as the notion that all diseases are caused by a psychological illness. Right. I, I hold that all permutations, all mi- potential mixes of psychological and physical causes are possible. And that in most cases, in my experience, there there's a blend. I, I don't believe that someone gets sick from a single cause. And, right. and that's actually one of the fundamental flaws of traditional allopathic medicine. But I do know that... Um, a multiplicity of causes conspire to tear down our host defenses and result in, in illness. And amongst those causes frequently are psychological or what I prefer to call noetic causes. Mm-hmm. And there are some very common ones. Now you mentioned um, uh, placebo and the, the, the real issue around placebo is, and you know, I treat it deeply in, in the book is that, unless we understand, as I've discovered, what hypnosis really is, we don't have the cognitive tools to understand what placebo is. And so we just act mystified by it and ignore it. When you realize that all uh, hypnosis really is, is ideas uh, uh, presented with a certain methodology, ideas evoking responses, which can be mental and or physical, then you suddenly realize that placebo is a non-trans-hypnotic response to a suggestion. And here's the key, Greg. It's not a suggestion from some ranting schizophrenic on the corner. It's not a suggestion from some guy who has absolutely no authority in the medical field. It's always a suggestion from some white-coated science guy or gal right. who, who represents, epitomizes the authority of the medical establishment. Right. And so it's not, in my view, belief in the pill or, the, or, or the, whatever the intervention is. It's belief that that person represents or holds the authority of the establishment. And, and so... We see this all the time. Agreed. A vaccination, when we know this, if you gave vaccination to people, we can look at the raw data as soon as it's out. But you'll see that X percent, and it's usually between 25 and 35 percent of people, that that X percent of people in a vaccine trial 
will get some level of protection from the placebo, just as they get it for diabetes and hypertension and hypercholesterolemia and kidney stones and everything else. And so this this 70 years of uh, compiled placebo-controlled experiments is our proof, and I have to say it's incontrovertible proof, that mind matters, that ideas matter. Mm -hmm. So to ignore that, as so many well-meaning healers do, and rest on their compassion alone, without knitting in the important elements of how to present ideas and how not to present ideas, Mm -hmm. and what will get you to the cure, that's a real miss. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because the other night, you know, we're all now with COVID watching a lot of Netflix (laughs) as entertainment. And there's a a documentary called The Elephant in the Room. I don't know if you saw it or not. I haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to recommend it to you and to everybody else listening to this (laughs) about a, a, a nurse practitioner and doctors in a hospital somewhere in L.A. and how he treated these cancer patients with humor, like we were talking about uh, uh, Bernie, right? Because you were on Bernie's show. And how these patients' whole mind shifted by the way this young man, it's phenomenal. Just watch it because he got it. He got exactly what you're doing. Now, I think for our listeners, it's important that you give some examples of where noetic medicine, because you've talked about it. And and it's calling and it works. How does it work? So what does it come, where does it come into play? And especially now we're going to talk to the caregivers. There's thousands of caregivers that could be listening to this show. And so for you guys, this book, Healing Beyond Pills and Potions is a definite must read. And that's why I mentioned the elephant in the room, because, you know, this wasn't a physician. This was a nurse practitioner. This was a guy who was goofing off all the time with the patients, but extending their lifespan as a result of the antics that he played with them, right? And getting their mind off their disease and and what in his way, you know, call it his own hypnosis. But give these caregivers who are listening, Steve, some idea of, of your noetic practices. I'm happy to do that. And I think it's, it's so important. And for the... Um, non-medical people out there, many of you, I would say, have heard doctors misspeak and felt the sort of crushing, damaging impact that a misplaced word or idea can have on on your sense of hope and alliance and, and recovery. And that's why I think this is so important. Um, I'll give you a few examples, uh, beginning with the simplest and then going to sort of the most salient and extreme. Um, all doctors give what's called informed consent. And informed consent requires us to, uh, when, whenever we're proposing an intervention, whether it's a pill or a procedure or surgery, to speak uh, to the patient about risks and benefits. Now, here's the wrong way to give informed consent, and I'm going I'm to abbreviate this considerably. Um, let's say that the, there are risks and that they're bleeding and infection And let's just leave it to that, okay? Informed consent done wrong, but compassionately might sound like this. I really think you should have this procedure. Of course, you know it has risks. You could bleed. 
you could get an infection, but that's rare. And so I'm going to really promote you uh, agreeing to this procedure. Now, a person listening to that, as simple as that seems, is going to feel like darts have been thrown at them, the infection dart, the bleeding dart, where you could just as easily implement a very simple technique. I I just call it on the one hand and the other, and I'll demonstrate it to you. We've, we've had our uh, examination, and as a result of that and the various tests, I do believe the best procedure for you is the one I'm recommending. Now, I need to tell you uh, the risks. And on the one hand, there are some people, and I'll throw my left hand out and away from the patient. There are some people, listen, I'm saying some instead of you, who might have, might, in, in implies, might not. So there's the possibility of not getting this. Some people who might have an infection as a result or might have bleeding. On the other hand, now watch what I do. There are many patients, I'm putting my right hand right toward you and looking you right in the eye, much like yourself, Greg, who have a perfectly smooth procedure uh, without complications. And in fact, keep your own blood, every drop of it, in yourself and experience really rapid wound healing. And I'm underscoring that with eye contact with you. Now, that very simple thing can work when you're giving a prescription or a recommendation or prognosis or anything. And it's, it's easy to teach. So, and it doesn't make a difference. Well, yes, it makes a difference. And we know that. I know it from uh, 40 years of personal experience. But, but we know that because what I just told you is an authority, a white-coated authority offering just simple words, even a placebo trial, has 25 to 35% effect, if not better. And these uh, refinements in technique allow you to move up the ladder and have more in the neighborhood of 65, 85% effectiveness. So th- that's one very, very important. Well, it's a great example of, you know, how you used your hand gestures, where you put it, the words that you chose to use, carefully chose to use. And I, and I agree almost anywhere that's important, but more importantly, when you're speaking with an authoritarian figure that you're putting your trust in, right? And so obviously that in itself, maybe not call it hypnosis, but suggestively it's very powerful um, because you're going to get a lot more agreement from the patient to proceed forward the way you put it than the way the other person did. And you as a professional know that the procedure is going to help, that there's going to be a lot more compliance, right? Versus resistance. And if you end that with something like, so I'll, I'll be with you throughout. Let's see how well you do. Well, then you've, you've put your ribbon around that and you end with the patient having had positive suggestions, a sense of hope, and a deep sense of alliance with you, the caregiver. Now, so do you, do you look at this as reducing anxiety and giving people more hope, like you just said? Uh, because look, uh, if you use these techniques, somebody comes into the ER room, you've probably seen plenty of heart attack patients come in. Many survive, many don't. The question is, is can you reduce the levels of anxiety? I think one of the things you said to me that 
really still sticks with me today after one of the coffees we had was why today? Why today? And you, and then you started answering some of those questions and that might be, in other words, why today did this happen today? Meaning to the patient, right? Can you expound on that a little bit? Because I was just kind of fascinated by the way you put that. Yeah, absolutely. So there, there's actually two questions um, in there, Greg. The first is, uh, can you uh, help alleviate anxiety and uh, leave them with uh, a sense of hope and alliance? And is that what it is, or is there more? And then the other question is the why today. So let, let me take the first one first, because it's very simple, but it's really important. Um, one of the great misconceptions about, let's call it suggestive therapeutics, because that's what Bernheim called it before right. it was called hypnosis. And <laughs> and so um, one of the great misconceptions is, yeah, it's great. It'll help alleviate anxiety and maybe take away some pain and, and so forth. But it's not really there to treat organic illness. Um, I would like all your listeners to know that's so very untrue and damaging a belief. Um, I've seen uh, tumors uh, regress, stall, and even some disappear. I've seen autoimmunity completely reversed in people who were told you will be a cripple. I've seen the most marvelous outcomes from using ideas to treat hardcore organic ailments. And they work because, and this will tie into your second question, because contributory to those hardcore organic ailments are noetic causes. And what I learned very early in my career was after I made the diagnosis, after I got the patient stabilized, I could walk up to them and say, you know, that lesion in your coronary artery has probably been growing for a decade or more, possibly decades. You could have had a heart attack three years from now, two years ago, never. I know you won't know the reason to this. So what I'm doing there is I'm taking cognition out of it, okay? Mm -hmm. And I won't know the reason, the answer to this question either. But if you had to guess, and, and remember this, guessing is the whispering of the unconscious, okay? If you had to guess, why today? And then comes this most challenging moment for caregivers. You ask the question the way I just posed it. And then the most important thing you can do is shut up and listen. You have to just wait the pause because at first they're going to say, they'll laugh a little and say, oh, I don't, I don't know. know. You're the I doctor. <laughs> you tell me what today. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. And you've got to sort of martial arts that. You've got to say, well, I mean, you're, you're right. Of course you don't know. I'm not asking you to know, just guess. And then there will be a silence. And out of that silence, frequently, almost always in adults, there emerges some hint, some suggestion of the underlying contributory cause, not the only cause. There's still the lesion in the vessel. But now you're going to get an answer to why today. Well, I don't know, Doc. Do you think it has anything to do with my mother-in-law moving in for the next five months? 
Um, or, uh, well, I don't know, but <clears throat> my wife and I have been arguing so much lately. Is it possible that could, or, and then on and on and on right. through the right. whole human. So the triggering event or whatever it might be that um, disrupted it can be kind of explained. They can, they give themselves, uh, how do you want to call it? Permission uh, to, to explore. I'm not certain that if the question was, wasn't asked if they'd even give themselves permission. You know, like we all have lots of self-talk, Steve, that goes on all the time. Uh, and, and most of the time, most psychologists will tell you it's negative. <laughs> you know, it's, you got negative self-talk, but if you turned it into positive self-talk, uh, you could find that things would be easier. And, you know, we said we were going to address both caregivers and the average person out there. I think we've done a really good job of addressing both at this point. So you are teaching caregivers. Now we're going to switch back to caregivers, how to think about and talk to patients, just like you just said. Um, and I get that, but what can patients take from this? In other words, what are patients going to be taking away from this? Um, you you mentioned sovereignty and rooting out common contributory causes and uh, dangerous identifications and treatments of illnesses and so on. So um, maybe you might want to talk about that for a second. I think that's just critically important, uh, both for patients, but also for caregivers to, to understand. Um, once we understand that authority, and I'm using the term authority, not in the nasty sort of a, a, a strong boss or a tribal leader, or I'm talking about the authority uh, that you get when you put your stethoscope around your neck, put your white coat on and walk into a room. Um, <clears throat> that kind of authority you have whether you want it or not, okay? Right. It's you have it because in that helpless and dependent situation, you're the one least uncertain. And in the human herd, the one least uncertain is frequently, and we've seen this in recent politics, is frequently the one who gets followed. <clears throat> so, excuse me. So, once you understand that authority plays a role in how ideas can affect outcomes it becomes very clear that one thing all of us need to do is not vest authority in our caregivers. Now, that may, may seem kind of strange for a doctor to say, but it's, it, it's exceedingly important. Use your caregivers as if they're um, helpful, useful uh, consultants until they're not. And if they are no longer, you, you have to discharge them. And what that tells you is, in matters of health and healing, the, one of the very most important things you can do is retain your own personal sovereignty, your agency over yourself, and use a doctor like me for advice and hopefully some wisdom, but make the judgment yourself. You're not helpless and dependent. You can get another uh, doctor. The other thing that we learn is as we explore the various common causes, <clears throat> Patterns emerge, and some of the most common causes for uh, uh, or contributory noetic causes for human illness are, for example, unhealthy wishes. Oh, I wish I could get out of this no matter what. People should never 
issue a no matter what wish, never form it, never let it even begin to germinate. You want a healthy solution, okay? I'd like to get out of this in a healthy way. That's the important thing. Dangerous identifications, you mentioned. We're all identified with some primary authority from our childhood. And that identification tends to persist, and it can be, it can be wonderful and, and or dangerous. I just treated a guy, 46-year-old, um, whose father died unexpectedly and tragically at the age of 46. And he had this paralyzing uh, fear of injury and because he was now the age his father was, and he was identified with his father in every way. His father's an athlete. He's an athlete. His father's a family man. He's a family man. Religion's the same. Politics are the same. Their jobs were even the same. They walked and talked the same. And so he had this um, unconscious but debilitating fear. And so finding the proper way to sort of disengage, disidentify, which we all need to do. That's part of psycho-spiritual development. And, you know, of course, keep, keep whatever your uh, parents gave you that's precious, uh, but go your own way when their model no longer works for you. That's just a, a different way of saying adulthood, isn't it? Well, kind but, of create your own story. I think a lot of people yeah. like to relive the stories of yeah. of the past, you know, and um, and uh, easier said than done. You say psycho spirituality. I think it's a it's a lifetime of work for many people uh, to make that happen. And you know, you talk about this discovery that you've kind of made, and you're calling it the exquisite art of caregiving. Um, and that's the term you use in the book, uh, is exquisite art of caregiving. What would you like to leave our listeners with, with the kind of this, especially the ones that are caregivers and even the ones who aren't, uh, when they're out seeking the right kind of person to consult with, right? It's like, Hey, who, what kind of questions do you want to ask the, do- the next doctor that you're going to engage with? I know sometimes you don't have a choice, emergency room, you're going to get who you're going to get. But when you're actually out looking for a physician, what are some of the things that you as a physician might want to know that this person is practicing? And then what is this exquisite art of caregiving? Well, this may surprise you. I, I would say first, we should all understand that compassion is not enough. It's nice to have someone compassionate. Um, that's a, a benefit. But compassion should fuel uh, the quest for knowledge and wisdom that turns that compassionate person into a great healer. And so uh, the components of a great healer, excuse me, will be their ability to see beyond the simple uh, apparent material cause and to embrace the notion that there's a multiplicity of causes for most illnesses, including mental, noetic causes. And further, they'll have some idea of how to address those causes. But there's another thing that's almost uh, more important, and that is this, this ideal healer needs to be someone who doesn't issue curses. And we see this all the time, and I explain why it happens in the book. We don't have time here. But you need someone who won't be giving you negative suggestions. And so 
as important as it is to retain your sovereignty and think of your doctors as uh, useful consultants, it's also really important to listen for and tell your doctor, I'm in this to get well. I really don't want to hear any negative suggestions because all doctors who aren't trained in the exquisite art will misspeak. And even I misspeak by accident from time to time. And so you, you, you want someone who can both see your entirety as a person, but also know how to deal with your noetic causes and who will do no harm by not misspeaking. And as simple as that seems, uh, it's hard to find that guy. You've got you've to look. And when you find the, the healer who can match up with that, stick with them, whoever they are. Well, you know, for our listeners, I know that this book is going to really kind of change their lives. If they, if they just even take a piece of it and apply it to their lives, it's, it'll definitely change your life. So I would tell my listeners, pardon me, Steve, that they need to uh, pick up the book, uh, Healing Beyond Pills and Potions. Before you go get the book, go to the website. Seriously, uh, check out Steve's website. Um, it's very simple, healingbeyondpills.com. I don't think I need to spell that out, but that'll be in our blog. Um, there you can get a discount of 20% on the book if you buy the book through there, which is uh, cheaper. Um, you can also go to Amazon. I know most people are going to default to Amazon too. We'll put the that up there. There's also a... Um, a version of the book, which is an audio. So get that. Steve, pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth, spending a little bit of time with our listeners today, talking about your new book, your philosophy, NLP, uh, and and all of the other things that we talked about, the exquisite art of healing, uh, and obviously hypnosis. But you are a wonder. You're a great person to have in medicine. Thanks for all that you're doing. Happy holiday season. Enjoy. And uh, and I l- hope to see you soon in person. <laughs> right back at you, Greg. Thanks so much. Really okay. Good. Take care. <laughs>